0: The all-new Chevy Colorado is made for more. Stacked with the latest in-vehicle technologies like a class-leading 11-inch diagonal center touchscreen and an extra-large wireless charging pad. Plus, it features wireless Apple CarPlay and Android Auto compatibility to make staying connected easy wherever your adventure takes you. Chevy Colorado, made for more. Learn more at chevrolet.com slash truck Colorado. Claims based on latest competitive data. This is the On the Banks podcast. Follow us on Twitter at OTB underscore SB Nation. Now, here's your host, Aaron Brightman.
1: Welcome to episode 113 of the On the Banks podcast. I'm your host and managing editor, Aaron Brightman. Thank you so much for listening once again. Extremely exciting and busy week here at On the Banks and with Rutgers Athletics. Uh, really could be a historic weekend at many levels, um, but definitely since Rutgers has joined the Big Ten um, across the athletic department, uh, so many intriguing and uh, potentially really just groundbreaking achievements are on the table. This weekend, you have women's soccer, the number one seed in the Big Ten tournament, hosting the semifinals and title game. They will take on defending Big Ten tournament champion Iowa Thursday at your sack field at 1.30 p.m. Eastern. That game is airing live on the Big Ten Network and is free admission. A Huge win uh, this past weekend over Wisconsin. A the team they lost to twice just last spring, uh, including the Big Ten tournament semifinals. So that was a kind of a, a big hump for them to get over. Obviously, you know, just a week removed from their first ever uh, and Rutgers' first ever Big Ten regular season title. We had Coach Mike O'Neill, Amira Ali, and Sam Kroger on last episode, so I think mentally, you know, that that was certainly something they needed to overcome uh, facing a team that had beat them the last two times out at home. You know, having that title under their belts, uh, certainly more pressure comes with it. So they obviously handled it, I think, uh, in stride, got that win that they had to get, and now they'll face Iowa on Thursday, and then they'll face the uh, potentially the winner of that. Well, the winner of that game will face the winner of. Um, Uh, Michigan and Purdue Purdue finished second place was one team that Rutgers did not take on this year. So that's an intriguing possibility uh, in the title game, uh, which will be played on uh, Sunday, November 7th at your sack field, regardless of whether Rutgers is there or not, but obviously we hope they are. So big game there on Thursday Uh, at the same time, the Rutgers field hockey team, which is uh, remains number three in the latest coaches poll nationally Finished in second place in the Big Ten. Best finish ever. Most wins ever in Big Ten play for Rutgers field hockey. Six wins. uh, Won this past weekend. Head into uh, the postseason with tied for the most wins in program history. With 15. They're 15-3 on the season. They tied the 86 team that went on to the NCAA tournament. So historic season for Meredith Civico as well. uh, And they will face Indiana, uh, the the number two seed, Rutgers. They'll face number seven, Indiana, on Thursday. Uh, And then uh, if they advance, they will face the winner of Penn State and Maryland on Friday with the title game being played on Sunday, all being played at Rutgers, the host. So really unbelievable possibility of on Sunday, November 7th, you have Rutgers women's soccer and Rutgers field hockey both playing for Big Ten tournament titles on the same day, literally a mile apart, if that. Probably not even that that much of a distance. Would be an unbelievable day for Rutgers fans. At the same time, men's soccer earned the sixth seed in the Big Ten tournament after a uh, win this past uh, weekend over Ohio State. They won 4-0. So they're the sixth seed. They go back to Bloomington, Indiana to face the Hoosiers, who they uh, really shocked the soccer world in September, beating them in Bloomington, uh, their first Big Ten loss in years at home. Certainly a tall task for Rutgers to go back and win twice in really two months uh, at Indiana. But uh, they have the, the confidence to know they can do it. And they really need to make a run here in the Big Ten tournament to have a chance for the NCAA tournament. Um, overall, you know, listen, a solid season in Jim McKeldry's third year. I guess maybe fell short a little bit based on the start. Uh, but I think still hard to complain as he's still building here. You know, they're 9-5-2 and two overall, 3-4-1 and one in Big Ten play. Obviously a win. uh, They've only made the Big Ten tournament semifinals once ever back in 2015. So an opportunity for sure. And then really in terms of football, you know, we we took a couple episodes off. We had uh, Anthony National on to preview uh, wrestling. We did a men's basketball preview and then we had the women's soccer team on. Now we're going to focus this episode back on football after a disappointing loss to Northwestern. Uh, before the bye week, uh, they, they they righted the ship, so to speak, with it with a uh, big win at Illinois this past weekend. Um, the run defense was amazing. Noah Vedrel, you know, really gutsy performance. Gavin Wimsit had that huge fourth down conversion. He had Kassan Abraham with that huge fourth down stop to clinch the game. So many big developments. Johnny Langan had, you know, a, a memorable performance for sure. Lots of contributions in that win. It really was a team win. Uh, and it was great to see Rutgers revitalized after the bye and being a team that really, I mean, let's be honest, they, Illinois had won four of the last five seasons. It was the last game of that six-year series. It really would have stung to, to go out of that six-year series with only one win. So uh, Rutgers was able to salvage that and really build momentum. And, and here we are in November. They haven't been uh, at 500 or better This late in the season since the 2014 bowl season when Rutgers last went uh, to the bowl season. So that's progress. And it might not have looked that way at certain times this season. Um, And it's obviously still four games to go to ultimately determine how we view this season. But um, we're in November. We're in the last month of the season. And Rutgers has something to play for. So that's exciting. And they welcome Wisconsin. Certainly a daunting task. Wisconsin's won four in a row now. I really did believe that even when they were 1-3, and three, uh, it, was, it was more a product of the schedule. They had losses to Penn State, Michigan, and Notre Dame. Uh, pretty difficult start to the first four games of the season. Um, they've really uh, turned things around. They have the best defense in the country, arguably, or maybe not even. Arguably, uh, statistically, they do. And then, um, obviously, offensively, they've really gotten the run game going. Rutgers is going to have it hands full. On Saturday, certainly a possibility. And, uh, you know, the way this defense has been playing um, and if they can continue to play mistake-free football, just three penalties last game, zero turnovers, they're going to have a chance. So I think big plays will be a big part of what happens in this game if Rutgers can hang or not. Um, But I'm thrilled to welcome two guests that we can discuss uh, both teams in further detail. We have Matt Bells from Bucky's fifth quarter, SB Nation's Wisconsin site. And we have friend of the podcast, James Cratch from NJ Advanced Media, to talk about Rutgers, and we will welcome them both in now. It's my pleasure to welcome back once again, James Cratch of NJ Advanced Media, Rutgers beat reporter. James, thanks so much for being back.
2: Glad to be here, Aaron. How are you? Pretty good.
1: Excited after the win against Illinois. I uh, was not optimistic going in. Just was curious on your thoughts and impressions of the win And anything that kind of stuck out to you as a takeaway moving forward as we approach the the home stretch of this
2: season? Yeah, I just felt like it was the best game the offense has had in a while. I mean, it may have arguably been the best offensive performance they've had all season, which sounds crazy when you consider they scored 61 points against Temple and obviously scored a bunch of points against Delaware. But no, I, I thought Rutgers just looked rejuvenated coming out of the open week and they just didn't. Commit the silly mistakes or the self-inflicted issues that kind of haunted them during the four-game losing streak. You know, I, I, I think there's a lot of optimism going into November now. I don't think a bowl game is a guarantee, but I think it's a lot closer. Uh, obviously, now that they're four and four, than it would have been had you know. Look, I, I still think that we might look back on this season and say they had to get Northwestern, they had to get Michigan State to go to a bowl game, and they weren't able to do it, but they had to at least salvage something out of that three-game stretch.
1: One thing that stuck out to me, I think, is we really saw player development kind of taking hold a little bit in that game. You saw guys like, you know, Kassan Abraham make that big hit. Johnny Langan's really uh, starting to come into his own as a, as a true tight end. Ireland Brown, I thought, played really well along the offensive mm-hmm. line. Um, you know, guys that are switching positions. Uh, what are your thoughts on just Obviously, player development, you know, there, there's so many. It's a, it's a large uh, group that needs to, to move forward long term for this rebuild. But um, are we starting to see some of the dividends earlier than maybe expected with, with certain guys?
2: Yes and no. I mean, I, I totally agree with you. I think we saw a guy like Hassan Abraham really step up. Ireland Brown play well. I also think that a lot of the guys who've been around for a while, like I thought Raekwon O'Neal had his best game in a long time. Isaiah Pacheco had one of his best games of the season. I think we saw a lot of the older guys also step up and make plays.
1: And just in terms of that balance, you know, it's uh, there's about a dozen first or second year players that are getting uh, you know a decent amount of snaps, both on special teams, but on offense and defense as well. Uh, I guess as we move forward in November, with a bowl game still realistic somewhat, how do you think the staff will continue to balance um, in terms of getting some of the younger guys time, but also obviously? giving them their best chance to to win uh, and potentially make that bowl game?
2: So I think we're going to see a lot of young guys play because Rutgers feels those are the best players. Those are the guys who are beginning to overtake some of the veterans. So I think we're going to see about what we've seen so far through eight games. I do think you'll see it one or two more younger guys when we get sprinkled in as we move along. But I think a lot of it's going to be dictated by, you know, injuries, obviously, but then a lot of these players are coming on strong. I mean, look, I think Keontae Hamilton's a perfect example. He's a guy who clearly is their backup nose guard behind Julius Turner at this point. And I think his reps are only increasing each week, and they might get to the point where maybe not that specific example, because Turner is so good, but you might see a guy like Keontae Hamilton overtake the, the older guys in front of him by the end of the year.
1: And uh, just talking about Gavin Wimsett, obviously, uh, you know, very dramatic, almost storybook moment to come in your first player collegiate career and, and be able to convert on fourth down like that. I think one thing that hasn't been said as much as, uh, I mean, how surprised were you that the coaching staff, obviously, they've taken risks this season, but it really took a lot of guts, I think, to, to put him in that spot. Obviously, they've been very strategic about his development, but w- what were your thoughts initially when he ran on the field and uh, in just them even giving him that opportunity?
2: You know, I wasn't shocked that he was in the game in the big picture because, you know, there really hadn't been any great signs, but there had been a little bit of like a inkling when you talk to people that, hey, like, they're getting to the point where obviously like this logically, as the season progressed and you got past the open date, you always figured, okay, this is like the window on the schedule where we might see him play. And I think there's been not a whole lot of buzz, but there's been stuff here and there. You hear out out in the the ether about, hey, like, they're getting close. You know, they're going to play him at some point. Just a a gut feeling, you know, more than anything. But to put him in the field on that spot, fourth and five, big spot, if you don't get that, you know, who knows, you might not win the game. That really stood out to me. That kind of surprised me that they put him in that situation. But then again, as we learn after the fact, like, if they've been working packages with him during the week to get him up to speed, while it looks like the biggest moment of the game to us, and it certainly is, it was still kind of an controlled environment for them to get him in where they kind of knew what was coming. I mean, he had seen the play run the play so many times in practice that it maybe felt a little more comfortable for him.
1: And what are your thoughts on moving forward just in terms of, I know Shiano had, had mentioned there's set packages for him. I kind of always envisioned myself that that would be how they would utilize him. Do you think that they're going to make a priority to, to get him more snaps moving forward? And how important do you think it is to really preserve that red shirt?
2: You know, I think it's important. I think, obviously, if they don't preserve it, that's not the end of the world. I, the way I kind of approach it is, listen, if Gavin Wimsett turns out to be the quarterback that Rutgers fans and Rutgers you know, staff believe he's going to be, he's probably not going to be here five years, and that's fine. But this is the one moment in his career where he can redshirt. This, even if he's not – even if he's in platoon next year, he's going to be an integral part of the offense moving forward. He's never gonna have a chance to redshirt again, in all practicality. So why not protect the possibility? Like, why even like why why even count something out for your future down the road that you may or may not need? This like I that's the way I look at it. You know, if he's not gonna start a game, if if you if you healthy the rest of the way, why even bother? You know, taking something off the board down the road when you don't have to take it off the board. I think this game is gonna be a big kind of determination. This Wisconsin game about what way they go with him. Part of me says they're not going to force him in the game. They're just going to follow the flow of the game, see what happens. And if he doesn't play against the Badgers, then there's only three games left. You can kind of go from there. The other part of me says, after showing him to the world finally, with the buzz around the team, four and four, you you hope a big crowd, you've got to put him in on Saturday. Like You have to give this payoff because a lot of people are probably coming to the stadium to see Gavin Wimsatt. So part of me thinks... He's definitely going to play and see more time against Wisconsin. Then you go to Indiana. Indiana is very close to Owensboro, Kentucky, a couple-hour drive. The whole town of Owensboro, basically, from what I understand, is going to be in, in Bloomington for that game. People were <laughs> buying tickets. You know, When he came to Rutgers in September, people were just going ahead and buying tickets, figuring he's going to be playing by the time they get to that game. So Then you go to Penn State, and it's like, on one hand, that would be the natural game to not play him, but you know, if Penn State's vulnerable, you're going to throw everything at Penn state to try to win that game. So it's tough. I think they should red shirt him. I just think that's the safest, most practical thing to do. But if they get in a situation where he's helping them win games, I don't think they're going to hesitate to burn the redshirt.
1: Yeah. I think that's the, I think that's the tough part now is they've opened that door. So, you know, it's, it's, it's so tempting to, to get him more and more time. You know, obviously I, I you know, Vedra de- deserves to be the starter. I don't even think if Vedra went down necessarily would make sense to put Wimsett in as the first alternative, you know, depending on how much of a grasp he has on things. But I, I think especially Wisconsin is a great example where, you know, their defense is most vulnerable against throwing o- over the top of the defense. And, and Wimsic could, you know, he, he has that skill set to potentially cause a problem for them.
2: No, no doubt. And look, I'm sure Rutgers, you know, Shiano, Sean Gleason have thought, thought this thing through uh, as much as we have, if not more. But, you know, once you put Wimset on the board – it was always going to be very hard to kind of take him off. So, that to me, I think this was, if they play him a lot against Wisconsin, I'm going to tend to think maybe he's not redsharing this year. If we don't see him against Wisconsin, I'm going to think that was a strategic decision to kind of then take, you know, let him loose when you know you're within that four game window. The other thing, too, is the team goes to a bowl. The bowl game counts towards his game. So, you have to factor that, too. So, you want to play him for four games, have him help you get to a bowl game, and then be like, okay, guys can't can't do it in the bowl game that's a tough sell as well
1: great point wanted to ask you switching gears about the defense you know really i think probably the three best games that Rutgers played this year with wins over syracuse and illinois and the michigan game and all three their run defense was really really good you know how impressed were you with the way they were able to shut down illinois just a week after you know running all over penn state and is it a bit of a jekyll and hyde thing is it a health thing i mean what what do we expect going against Wisconsin, who was also very strong, you know, in, on the ground.
2: Yeah, I was very impressed. I mean, obviously, I've written about it a bunch. You know, Illinois has really dominated Rutgers on the ground in recent years, obviously, prior to last weekend. I do think the I were probably a little bit tired after that night overtime game against Penn State. Probably took a lot out of it. But the same token, you know, Wisconsin has had a very emotional, grinded-out game against Iowa. So you know, same situation. I mean, it's it's November. Everyone's kind of beat up in the Big Ten. I do think there's a little bit of a Jekyll and Hyde thing. I think the biggest thing, and it sounds very simple, is when Rutgers up front, when their defensive line can get off blocks, that's when their run game, run defense seems to really excel. It's when they get blocked up front and they have to start to rely on the linebackers and in the secondary, that's where things become an issue.
1: And with that being said, do you think this maybe a tough question, but uh, maybe unfair, but I look at it as do you look at Julius Turner almost being the most indispensable guy on the Rutgers defense simply because of the reasons you just stated?
2: Yeah, I think he's got a big game. Obviously, he was a little dinged up against Illinois. Greg Shiona said he's okay. You know, I'm really intrigued to see what Keontae Hamilton does because he's the guy who's going to be, you know, spelling Julius Turner. I think it's, it could be a big Ephon Majid day, too. They're going to need to have a strong, steady rotation up front because I go back to 2018, the only time since I've been on the beat that Rutgers played against Wisconsin. They were pretty competitive, at, you know, at Camp Randall. You know, Saquon Hampton had two picks in the first half. But I thought the biggest turning point was, I think it was like fourth and seven from the 44, classic Ash-era surrender punt. <laughs> that Wisconsin offensive line comes in, and they just run out the clock on the first half. But they had like five or six plays where they just got to tee off on the Rutgers offensive line, accumulate the body blows. So then in the second half, it just kind of fell apart. Jonathan Taylor runs all over them. I think that's the type of situation they're going to have to trust their depth because if they don't, they're going to get beat up. And it's going to be accumulation. And by the time we get to the fourth quarter, Wisconsin's going to make a move.
1: A couple more for you. Heading into now, uh, obviously this is the really the, the first time Rutgers has had something meaningful to play for in the last month of the season since 2014. Obviously 2017 with Ash, they they were four and five, but still kind of, you know, uh, a little bit fighting uphill. How important is it for maybe not Rutgers to make a bowl game, but to be competitive down the stretch? And how do you see the outlook for this team the last four games of the season?
2: Yeah, I think obviously being competitive is very important. You know, I've kind of thought to myself, I don't think the bowl game is the be all end all. The thing I think is kind of cool is that in a vacuum week to week, all four of these games left on the schedule are extremely meaningful. You know, obviously this Wisconsin game is another shot. You know, you got excitement. You're gonna have a crowd. It's another shot to get one of those signature wins against one of the, you know, the top programs in the Big Ten. Kind of those scrapbook wins that you're gonna remember forever. You know, I've said it many times. The best way to get to the Rose Bowl, step one, is to be better than Indiana. So I think a chance to beat Indiana and kind of reverse the the gains they had made during the Ash era is important. Penn State. You know enough said. That's Penn State. That's always going to be a big game. And then Maryland at the end of the year, even if they're out, even if they lose the next three and they're out of bowl contention, that's a, a rivalry game. It's a chance to end your year on a high note. And potentially the way the schedule unfolds, you could deny Maryland the bowl trip in that game too. So there are going to be four kind of high stakes, emotional games coming out. So obviously you want Rutgers to be competitive in all those. But I think even if they don't go to a bowl, they've got something to play for each week.
1: And last question for you, I would. Uh, I know you do a good job of following, keeping up on uh, the other sports as well. Huge weekend coming up for Rutgers, uh, women's soccer and field hockey, potentially playing each for a Big Ten tournament title at home on the same day. Uh, how important is it for Rutgers to have made this step? And how big of the, you know, I, I look at it this weekend and potentially if, if they both won, it would be the best weekend uh, biggest weekend, most important for Rutgers sports in many, many years. I think arguably, you know, ever in terms of obviously since joining the big 10, how surprised are you in terms of the athletic department, the progress they've made in the last year and how much of, you know, would it help perception if they were able to do that this weekend?
2: I think it would help perception. Look, I mean, the unfortunate thing is that in terms of the big picture until they win big in football, um, they've done it in men's basketball already, I think, until they were to be right in the hunt for the regular season title in the Big Ten, that's what it's going to kind of take. Football's the biggest one, though. Like, you got to be good in football and everything else falls. I'm not terribly surprised at this point, because I, I think we've talked about this before. I've always felt that there are sports that the State University of New Jersey should be really good in every year, and women's soccer and field hockey are two of those. Yeah, I think wrestling is another one. I think when Rutgers joined the Big Ten, obviously it was a – a climb it was an adjustment for every program but there were certain sports i think were much more big 10 ready than other sports i think women's soccer probably is the top of that list that they were ready to roll so you know i think for them it would be nice to win a tournament obviously on your home field but at the same time they've already got the trophy you know they won the regular season title and i'm a firm believer that conference tournaments are just there for ncaa bid allocations and, and money you know like the regular season champion is the real champion. But I think for the field hockey program, if they can win the Big Ten and get over those teams, Michigan, Iowa, they've struggled with, then they go into the national tournament saying, we can win the whole thing, which I think is kind of, kind of incredible. So if, for as good as women's soccer has been, I almost feel like exiting this weekend, they're gonna no matter what they do, they're going to be in the same place. But if the field hockey team wins the Big Ten tournament, I think all of a sudden they become a real national title contender which is pretty incredible.
1: Totally agree with you. I think the one thing about women's soccer, and this is the whole, (laughs) the are you screw mentality is, I I fear that if Rutgers goes out in the semifinals in women's soccer, they could get screwed a little bit with their NCAA bid and not, because I think if they win out on Sunday, they're guaranteed the first four games of the NCAA tournament at URSAC field, where if they lost, I feel like they're not going to end up getting that second weekend potentially.
2: That's a big point. No, no doubt. I mean that that is something to definitely consider. You know, I think it's kinda quirky, but I, I just I guess my point was just that I feel like the women like, yes, obviously you wanna get those games and be there through the college cup, but I feel like women's soccer, even if they have a a disappointing weekend, I would feel the same way about them going to that tournament that I would if they won won it again. I just think field hockey has a chance to really prove that it's it's there rather than, you know, to use kind of a football term like you know, like a team, that's like a third place in the SEC team. Like they're really good, but they're never going to get over that hump. I think that's a big test in front of field hockey this weekend.
1: Great point. Last question. I lied. Uh, If Rutgers football beats Wisconsin, is that their best win since joining the big 10?
2: That's a great question. I would say yes. I think because of the, the situation, obviously, you know, Michigan obviously was Brady Hoke. You know, I would say it's, Yes, I would say so, because you, you, your other best win is had Brady Hoke prominently involved. So I would argue <laughs> that, yes, it, is, it would be the biggest win, obviously, because at that point, if you beat Wisconsin, the biggest thing is, besides obviously beating the Badgers, and I've always said that's the type of game where they beat Wisconsin, that the photo of them celebrating is going to be in the Hale Center lobby by the end of the night, and it's going to stay there for the next 50 years.
1: That's and a great the, point. I think the
2: other thing, too, is you have five wins no matter what you get Maryland at home with a chance to go to a bowl game. You're playing with house money at that point. And if you can beat Indiana somehow and get to seven wins, you know, look at the Big Ten bowl schedule, you could somehow start punching your way toward maybe not New Year's Day in Florida, but you start to put yourself in the mix to potentially go to a Music City Bowl or a Las Vegas Bowl.
1: We'll end on a high note, James Crash and Jay Vance Media. I look forward to your appearance on the 30th for 30 uh, with uh, Kyle Flood and Brady Hoke for the Rutgers-Michigan game from 2014 one day.
2: you got it. Anytime, Aaron.
1: And it's now my pleasure to welcome in this week's guest to speak about Wisconsin, SB Nation's Bucky's fifth quarter contributor and podcaster, Matt Bells. Matt, thanks so much for being here.
0: Yeah, I'd love to be on. Thanks for having me.
1: So, Interesting season so far from an outsider's view in regard to Wisconsin. The 1-3 and start now have won four games in a row. Wanted to ask how much of that start was based on the difficult schedule that Wisconsin faced and what has led to this turnaround in the last four games?
0: Yeah, I think the schedule definitely played a part. I think going into the year, most fans looked at this as you you hope to, to take maybe two out of the three between Penn State, Notre Dame, and Michigan. Obviously lost all three of those games, which was kind of a tough pill to swallow. A, a lot of their struggles came because of turnovers, unable to finish in the red zone. Some of the things that Wisconsin uh, has really thrived on the past few years, we saw that they really struggled with in, in those games. And I think that specifically that that first game against Penn State kind of set them um, back um, quite a bit, and they've struggled with their offensive line. So they've they've remedied quite a few things, um, specifically on offense. Defense has been pretty consistent all year long. You know, they gave up 41 against Notre Dame, but a lot of that was because of Graham Mertz turnovers. So you look at it; the big thing is just trying to find an identity on offense and and trying to figure out a combination that works on the offensive line. And so far they've made some significant progress in those areas. And just in terms of the run
1: game for Wisconsin, it seems like it's really starting to to blossom with Braylon Allen, four consecutive hundred yard performances, obviously coinciding with the four wins. How has his development kind of helped uh, this team take that next step?
0: Yeah, I, I think his emergence has really helped. You look at it in Wisconsin has has had a couple good running backs um, with Ches Malusi, Jalen Berger, Isaac Rendo, all, you know, showing flashes of what they could do. But none of those guys really showed an ability to break tackles, bounce off tackles, and stay upright. Braylon Allen, a bigger kid, 6'2", 238, um, came in, and those first couple games didn't get a lot of carries as he was trying to learn the offense. But then you kind of saw him slowly emerge as a kid that was going to get some more carries. And I just think his balance, his ability to to move the pile forward and and to read and react is, is much better uh, than some of the other backs that they have in this roster. And I think that that's really helped this offensive line who's struggled at times to, to kind of find a rhythm because it's not all on them to create those holes. Instead, you've got a kid, a battering ram who can say, take that two yard gain and turn it into six. That makes
1: a lot of sense. Did, since you did mention him and uh, you know, this is a, a Rutgers podcast and uh, being from New Jersey, wanted to ask your take, or any insight you had on what happened with Jalen Berger? Obviously, had a really good freshman season, um, and then ended up getting dismissed from the team a, a couple of games ago. Uh, you know, where, Rutgers fans are curious where he'll land specifically if he will end up uh, with Greg Schiano at Rutgers. But what's your take on the whole situation?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think that you know, transferring back home would make a ton of sense for him. Uh, It sounds like there was just some things that went on in in the offseason. Wisconsin went ahead and brought in Ches Malusi, who has been their starting running back most of this year. Malusi beat him out in fall camp, and I was there for a couple practices, and you could see that Malusi was coming on, whereas Berger was a little banged up and struggled at times. So Malusi got the first nod. Berger wasn't happy about that. Um, Then there was some stuff. Um, reported by uh, Colton Bartholomew, um, who covers the Badgers as well, um, that basically there was some things where he wasn't necessarily showing up to practices on time, wasn't showing up to workouts at all, some things off the field and decision-making that kind of led to um, that decision. And I-, I wish the best for him because he is a very talented player. There's no doubt about that. I know he's a kid who can give it Wisconsin a lot. He he was good out of the backfield as a receiver, as well as a, as a runner. And I-, I think that wherever he lands, if he can can really focus on the task at hand and, and take care of those off the field issues, the, the talent there for him to really blossom
1: so shifting gears a little bit just with uh quarterback obviously lots been said about Graham Mertz and his struggles this season um you know put up pretty solid numbers last year what what has been the the kind of I guess his biggest reasons for struggles and how has Wisconsin mitigated that in terms of you know using him more I guess as maybe a
0: game manager is that fair to say I think that's definitely fair to say. You look at it, those those first uh, three games, specifically against Penn State and Notre Dame, 37 attempts against Penn State, 41 attempts against Notre Dame. That's not really the recipe that's worked at Wisconsin for so long. So it was kind of, uh, you know, a bit of a head scratch to think, why are they throwing the ball so much? He, in those two games, he had six interceptions. So you've seen a kid who has struggled a little bit this year. He's come on a little bit better late, but I think part of that is they just haven't asked him to do as much. And the offensive line has been a little bit better. He still um struggles with going through a, a multiple progressions to a point where you're you're feeling really comfortable. Uh and and still is you still worry about turnovers. That's been the biggest thing that's hurt him this year. But um, I, I think Wisconsin has has found found an identity on offense and understood, Hey, we've got a couple running backs that are really good. Our offensive line is is better in run pro than pass pro let's, let's try to run the ball on teams and and not put this quarterback who has, who's kind of had a very up and down season more so down early in the year and, and kind of leveled off a bit here as of late tried, tried to take some of the pressure off of him.
1: And just in terms of the defense, obviously has stabilized this team. Uh, Averaging just, you know, give out 50 yards rushing per game. Uh, it's really remarkable. Tops in the country. What has been so uh, key to their success, uh, both in stopping the run, but overall limiting opponents to just over 200 yards uh, of offense per game?
0: Yeah, it's definitely the front seven. Uh, Wisconsin's secondary um, has made some nice plays, but that is definitely not the group that I think really runs the engine for Wisconsin's defense. You look at it, they've got three really good defensive linemen, which I think is something that Wisconsin hasn't had uh, most of the years. Most of the time, you've got a couple guys in there, and then you really rely on your linebackers. They've got some difference makers up front that really um, can do some nice things, specifically Keanu Benton at nose tackle. He He's a big kid and, and really can two gap, take, grab two black, two blockers, sorry. Um, and, um, allows to the linebackers to open up some lanes. And then I, I think the, the other big thing is those linebackers, they've got three guys who are probably NFL caliber kids. Um, Leo Chanel is, is really came on as of late missed the first two games due to COVID, but has just kind of risen and and taken over kind of that top spot in the linebacker room, Jack Sanborn as well. Um, And then at outside linebacker, the, the kid to watch is Nick Herbig. He's he's really come on as of late in terms of getting to the quarterback as well. So I think those those three linebackers, as well as the defensive line, is a big reason why Wisconsin's done much better this year defensively, specifically against stopping the run. Matt, I
1: think the craziest stat I've seen all year, I'm looking at it right now, is when they lost to Notre Dame by four touchdowns, they held them to three yards rushing on 32 attempts. That's crazy. I mean, literally <laughs> 0.1, and, and you lose by four touchdowns. I know Wisconsin had a ton of turnovers in that game, but that that's, that's just unbelievable.
0: Their group is really talented. They didn't allow... Iowa uh, first down that wasn't via a penalty until like a minute and a half left of the first half. And I know Iowa's offense is pretty limited, but th- this defense is by far the best part of this team. And it's interesting, too,
1: because Shiano mentioned Herbig specifically in his press conference this week um, as someone that, uh, you know, they were essentially worried about um, what, what I guess from a defensive standpoint, are there any weaknesses that Wisconsin has?
0: I think the big thing is that there has been communication breakdowns from time to time in the the secondary. We haven't seen it as much as of late. I, I thought the Wisconsin secondary played really, really good against Purdue, um, obviously a pass happy team, but we saw earlier in this year against Penn State when Jahan Dotson was able to get open and he's obviously not a player you want to allow running free through a secondary. And so that really hurt them. Um, Notre Dame was able to, to make a couple of long passes, Michigan as well. So I think that's the big thing is that there are opportunities for Rutgers to be able to, to go over the top and and beat Wisconsin secondary at times, but it's, it's really going to be um, something to where those plays have to happen quickly because the Wisconsin front seven is usually blitzing every play.
1: Yeah, that's good to know because uh, basically Rutgers' weakness is uh, <laughs> is is throwing over the top and throwing throwing deep and having time with the offensive line. So that uh, interesting matchup to watch. I'm curious with just stepping back a little bit, looking at the big picture, what your thoughts and kind of the general feeling of the fan base is in regard to Paul Chris. You know, obviously has had success at Wisconsin, but I do think it's interesting, you know, since 2018, he's only 27 and 15, which believe me, as a Rutgers fan, we would sign up for that in a heartbeat. But I'm curious what your thoughts are on, on his kind of perception. And, you know, is he is there is his seat even mild in Wisconsin or what is the overall thoughts of the fan base in regards to his tenure so far?
0: Yeah, I mean, I I think before this four game win streak, which has come up against very different competition in my eyes, when you compare it to Penn State, Notre Dame and Michigan, I think the the big thing is that Wisconsin fans want more on offense. That's, that's a a thing that if you're going to be an offensive coach, like like Paul Christ was, he he was their offense coordinator for for many years before he took over this role. um, you, You would want a little bit more. And instead, you're seeing the defense kind of carry most of the weight here. So I think there's some some general frustrations about the offense, specifically the offensive line. That's something that Wisconsin hangs their hat on to see kind of some of those, you know, kind of steps back in those areas is, is frustrating. So I don't think that there's any worry, that like he's not on the hot seat or anything like that right now, but, but there is, you know, some, some unrest at times based off of just kind of the inabilities of the offense to execute and, and look the part um, of a, a team that should be in the top 25 year in and year out, like fans expect. So I, I think that uh, there's there's always going to be fans who are unhappy. Um, this year is definitely more than normal, just based off of what happened in those first four games. But – I think that things have kind of settled down a little bit. If Wisconsin stumbles over the past the final four games, maybe that changes a little bit. But but right now, there is a subsection of the fan bases that really wants Jim Leonard, the defensive coordinator, to be the head coach. Um, and and that's just because he is a really good defensive coordinator and a really smart individual. But at the same time, I, I think that uh, most fans. Understand that there's going to be years where it's just not going to be as good based off the schedule, the talent level, etc.
1: Leonard, a great New York Jet too. Throw that in there. But uh, just talking about that schedule as fans, obviously we can do this in terms of looking ahead. I mean, Wisconsin, with all that being said about their struggles this season, they're, they're you know still in line if they take care of business against Rutgers, Northwestern, and Nebraska at home. Uh, they go to Minnesota the last week of the regular season with a chance to win the Big Ten West. You know, how much of a factor do you think that is in terms of this team keeping its focus? And do you think there's any possibility at all that they could be overlooking Rutgers in this game?
0: Yeah, I, I think that I think they'll keep their focus. But at the same time, I would not be surprised if there's Um, somewhat of a letdown when you come off of a big win over a team like Iowa that's incredibly physical and and um, a team that you really get up for because there's a trophy game Everything involved, um, and then you kind of have the body clock element where you're going to be going halfway across the country. I wouldn't be surprised if it takes Wisconsin a little bit to to settle in, and and I think that's worrisome, especially on the road. So I, I think that letdown effect is definitely there. At least personally, as a as someone who covers the team, I would think that that's a real possibility. But but I just think that Wisconsin. Um, it, it's just funny that they've they've struggled so much this year, but everything's still in front of them and. Um, it just kind of tells you just kind of it's kind of an indictment, I guess you could say, on the Big Ten West in a lot of ways, because Wisconsin hasn't looked the part and still has an opportunity to possibly get there. Where, whereas Rutgers, you know, you're, you're in the East. It's it's pretty much you've got to be um, either undefeated or one loss or you're not getting there. So it's just kind of crazy. Just a
1: couple more for you. I did want to ask, and I will admit, I, I do enjoy uh, Wisconsin fans reactions when I when I usually tweet about uh, Aaron Cruikshank. Uh, Just your thoughts or Wisconsin fans in general uh, on his kind of career, how he's done really well at Rutgers since leaving Wisconsin. And if there's any maybe not regret, but just uh, frustration that he uh, he did leave and and has had a really good run at Rutgers. Hopefully he'll play this week. Uh, It sounds like he's questionable from what Shiana said. But um, any thoughts uh, just on potentially going up against him this week?
0: Yeah, I mean, he's a really nice kid and he brings a ton of energy, which is, I think, something that you look at in Wisconsin has always struggled. Uh, I shouldn't say always, but they don't always have great wide receivers. So to see one of your talented kids go ahead and go somewhere else was definitely frustrating for most fans. I, I think for me personally, as someone who's covered the team for a while now, is looking at the ability for Rutgers to use him on offense, but also to put him back in punt return and kickoff return. Wisconsin used him as a kickoff returner and he did some nice things, had multiple kickoffs returns for touchdowns but you see what he can do as a punt returner as well and then you see the struggles that Wisconsin's had in punt return and it makes you want to rip your hair out because you you, I mean the kid is fast he took it back (laughs) 62 yards earlier in the year like he is a really a big difference maker so I love to see that Rutgers is using him how he should be used and and that is frustrating um, as somebody who had watched him um, kind of struggle with, with usage with the Badgers.
1: Yeah, and he's really become the second best wide receiver on the team too. So his absence the last two games has really been felt on the offense. Uh, so obviously, Rutgers fans were, were hoping he's back this week, and obviously, he wants to have a big game against Wisconsin. So I think it's a really interesting storyline to watch. Uh, last question for you, just in terms of this matchup and and you know how Wisconsin has played of late. What are you expecting from this game? And uh, I guess what what would you From your perspective, uh, is there any area of concern that you have with this matchup?
0: Yeah, I I think... You, regard, you talked about the letdown element. I think that that's a big thing here is is that I do think that Rutgers is going to be fired up for this game. I, I hope that the Wisconsin is as well. You would think they will be, especially in a Big Ten game. I, I think the body clock factor as well kind of factors into me. But, but I think one of the biggest things that I'm worried about is Rutgers special teams has the ability to flip a game. When you consider if Crickshank is back, he's a guy that can in immediately impact a game. You've got one of the best punters in the country. I mean, that guy can obviously tilt the field. And Wisconsin has struggled in special teams all year. Um, they they were beating Notre Dame until a kickoff return absolutely blew things open. They have muffed multiple punts. So when you're looking at a kicker who can do so many different things with the ability to kick it, um, that's kind of concerning. So I would say special teams and and just that that factor of going on a road against a team that you haven't really played against a lot. Like these two teams have haven't played that much over the past. You know, five, 10 years. So looking at that um and the unfamiliarity is another big concern for me. But I, I think in the end we're gonna see Wisconsin's gonna wanna do what they do, which is run the ball um and lean on their defense. So it's gonna be a matter of um which team can can light up the scoreboard because I do think that this the under's low for a reason.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Matt Bells, uh contributor and co-host of the podcast at Bucky's fifth quarter. You can find them at uh, Bucky'sFifthQuarter.com. He's on Twitter at bells with a Z. Love that tag. And then um, Matt, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate all your help and insight on Wisconsin. And best of luck this weekend.
0: Thanks, guys. Have a great one.
1: Thanks so much to Matt Bell's of Bucky's Fifth Quarter and to James Cratch for his uh, coming back once again from NJ Advanced Media to talk Rutgers. Uh, lots of great insight from both of them, and this really is an intriguing matchup for Rutgers on Saturday. Uh, And I really believe that this is going back to what I said at the top of the the episode in terms of historic accomplishments on the table for Rutgers this weekend with women's soccer, field hockey, men's soccer, potentially, uh, you know, able to make a a deep postseason run in Big Ten play. Never been able to do that. And then you have football with really, I believe, Wisconsin. This is an opportunity for the signature win for this program since joining the Big Ten. Yes, Wisconsin's just five and three, but they really have a clear path to the Big Ten West title right now, this would be a huge uh, spoiler opportunity for Rutgers and really uh, the best win, I think, since they've joined the Big Ten. Can they do it? We'll see. I think it's possible. You know, I think it's going to come down to how they start the game. Uh, are they able to contain the Wisconsin run the way they did against Syracuse, Michigan, and Illinois, all three games that they either won or were extremely competitive in? I think that's the really the, the main key to the game and then, obviously, execution for Rutgers playing mistake-free ball and being able to generate a few big plays uh, in the pass game and on special teams. Thanks so much for listening. Once again, you can find all of our coverage at onthebanks.com or at on Twitter OTB underscore SB Nation. Appreciate uh, all your support and listening once again. And we'll talk to you next week here at on the banks.
0: Follow on the banks on Twitter at OTB underscore SB Nation. And subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Just search On The Banks Podcast.